Welcome back to another episode of What A Week. My name is James Simmons, I use he, him pronouns, and I am so excited for this very special edition anniversary podcast. Yesterday, Saturday, January 22nd, was the 49th anniversary of the Supreme Court decision on the case of Roe v. Wade. This monumental court case was what legalized abortion and a person's right to make her own medical decisions nationally. But before we dive into the history and current issues surrounding Roe versus Wade, let's head over to our weekly rundown. On the weekly rundown, I will be sharing with you highlights from this week's news. You can also get these daily highlights by subscribing to our Daily High Five, Progress Iowa's new newsletter that keeps you up to date about the happenings around the state. Oh, thank you. So, without further ado, let's get started on today's weekly rundown. First up on the weekly rundown is the voting rights legislation that was voted down in the U.S. Senate this week. Democrats introduced the Freedom to Vote Act, a bill that would have made voting more accessible to all Americans, but was blocked by Republican senators, including Joni Ernst and Chuck Grassley. When Democrats knew that no Republican would join them in protecting our freedom to vote, they tried to change the filibuster rules to be able to pass the Freedom to Vote Act without the needed 60 senator threshold. This effort was also voted down, partially thanks to Senator Chuck Grassley, who said that changing the filibuster would break tradition. That's funny, since he has changed the rules twice in the last decade, first to block judicial nominees for former President Obama, and then again later to seat former President Trump's judicial nominees. One of Iowa's freshman Congress members, Ashley Henson, has made national headlines also for taking credit for the nearly $830 million earmarked for Iowa's bridges and infrastructure. But why is that national news? Because before the legislation was passed last November, she touted it as Washington gamesmanship and spending at its worst. Next, here in Des Moines, Republican State Representative Sandy Salmon has introduced a bill that would limit social studies teachers' ability to hold discussions about current events and require them to teach both sides on topics such as race, gender, and sexuality. This hurtful bill will cause marginalized students to feel even more othered and will create a greater division across our state. And finally, January 22nd was the 49th anniversary of Roe v. Wade, and I'm excited to speak with our guests to learn more about this. But first, what exactly is Roe v. Wade, and why does it matter? Many of us are already familiar with the story of Roe v. Wade, as it's been all over the news for the last few years especially. But for those of you who don't know, Roe v. Wade was the 1973 Supreme Court decision that legalized abortion across the entire United States. Prior to that date, there were some abortion access in some states, but the majority of women and people who were able to get pregnant in the United States were not legally able to access safe abortions. But people who are able to get pregnant and their access to abortion is still severely limited today. There were 16 different states in 2021 that introduced legislation that further restricted access to abortion. And there's a state constitutional amendment that's been introduced here in Iowa. My guests today are going to speak further on these issues and the issues currently faced against women's reproductive health in the state of Iowa and as well as what we can do to come together to support access to quality health care. 
My first guest is Iowa State Representative Beth Wessel-Kershell. She has been serving in the Iowa legislature since 2005, is the current ranking member on the House Human Resources Committee, and is one of the leading experts in women issues in this state. I had the opportunity to speak with her on Friday, the day before Roe v. Wade's 49th anniversary, and I'm so excited to finally be able to share our conversation with all of you. Good morning, and thank you for joining us, Representative Wessel Kreschel. I really appreciate you joining us. Uh, Representative Beth Wessel Kreschel is the current ranking member for the uh, Iowa House Human Resources Committee, and she's going to speak with us today about the anniversary of Roe v. Wade, as well as women's issues in Iowa, and how we can all work together to secure abortion access in this state. So thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So I'm going to kick it off with tomorrow is the 49th anniversary of Roe v. Wade. And what does Roe v. Wade in that symbolic Supreme Court case mean to you? You know, I think it means so much to many Americans, many Iowans. Um, it, it provides reproductive freedom in every state. Um, it makes it so that the states cannot um, make laws restricting abortion beyond um, the viability of the fetus. I think this is so important. Um, we cannot be a government that chooses when a woman or a family decides to start their family or have more family, you know, have another child. I think that needs to be a decision solely left up to a woman. Completely agreed. And unfortunately, we've seen so many states around the country, including Iowa, trying to restrict abortion access basically since Roe v. Wade was decided, but especially over the last decade here in Iowa, um, there's been so many bills introduced since 2012. Last year, the Republican Senate and the majority of the Republican uh, House members in Iowa voted to amend uh, the Iowa Constitution to include a, a constitutional abortion ban. Um, we know that this still has to go through another General Assembly and then a vote by the people, but what would that mean for Iowa? Well, it would obviously be devastating. Um, you, We just can't eliminate this access. It's life-threatening. It's economic-threatening to women. Um, we absolutely need to allow women to make their own healthcare decisions with their physicians. And this absolutely takes it away from the woman and puts it um, in the constitution. The constitution should be a document that grants rights, not one that eliminates rights. And this was just so sad to see last year. And again, it does have some hurdles to go through but we have to be vigilant in making sure that we inform Iowans as to what this would do because they will be the last ones to make that decision, I'm concerned. I think what you pointed out there as well um, for the state speaking, that this, beyond just being a human rights issue where legislators should be staying out of a woman's right to choose, this will have economic repercussions for the state as well because it will drive uh, businesses away or not, not make us look like a welcoming state. Right. I mean, when we debated this in the House, there were at least two young um, legislators who got up and talked about how their friends are leaving the state because of legis this legislation and other legislation like it. But it's just not welcoming to families. It doesn't make you feel safe that you can't make those decisions on your own. 
I am going to jump off families there because in 2017 as well, Iowa, um, very controversially, the governor of Iowa pushed back and said, we're no longer going to accept federal funding for our uh, state program for family planning. And now on the website for the state, uh, the family planning program, it says that their purpose, um, rather than being there to prepare for a family and let and help low-income Iowans grow, <clears throat> their website says, what is the purpose of the family uh, pr- planning program with Iowa? And it says to increase the spacing between births, to improve fr- future birth outcomes, and then to reduce the number of unintended pregnancies and birth paid by Medicaid. Paid oh by Medicaid. Oh my. That's, yeah. I mean, and Medicaid in Iowa is privatized. We know that. Um, that was a, it's been a huge thing. It's made the news for a long time. The go- is the governor prioritizing in- insurance companies' bottom lines over the ability of Iowans to be able to make their own reproductive decisions? Oh, wow. That's a tough, uh, <clears throat> tough question. Um, Medicaid is privatized, but it's um, your dollars, our tax dollars that, that pay for it. We just don't have the control that we used to have over it. Now private companies decide what they will pay for and what they won't pay for based on some very limited guidelines. Um, It looks like from what you're reading there that um, their only concern is to reduce the impact on the Medicaid dollars, which is very sad. I mean, the concern should be for individuals living in this state to make sure that they are making decisions that are best for their families and not on what are, where our Medicaid dollars are going. Right. Well, and as you've just said too, the, the impact this is going to have, um, in our state right now, we have four or five abortion clinic or clinics um, that even provide abortion services anymore anyways. Um, in 2014, in the state, it, it was estimated that over 80% of counties that covered 42% of the population of women in the state did not have clinics that provided for abortion services or honestly a lot of these family planning services and now the new state program has excluded Planned Parenthood um, which is the leading provider in Iowa from this. What kind of impact are we going to continue to do you think we're going to continue to see over the next few years in rural Iowa as we see our healthcare system that's already being overwhelmed by the pandemic now losing out on even more of these um, providers that service primarily low income and rural Iowans. Right. So four Planned Parenthood clinics closed after the 2017 a law passed. So all of those were in Eastern Iowa. I don't know why they were all over there, but all four of those clinics closed. What we've seen since that happened is 25% increase in abortions, 25% increase. If you're really concerned about decreasing the number of abortions, then you would fund programs like Planned Parenthood's Family Planning. Um, What we found is the new program that does not receive any federal dollars is fully funded by the state is that there aren't any providers. There are very few providers. And so it's very hard for people to access that program because there aren't providers. When they first suggested that that program, I think they had school nurses as a provider or dentists as a provider. Those are not places that you go for reproductive healthcare. Sorry, they're not. Um, You need to look a little bit more closely at where Iowans 
seek reproductive health care. And that's very often Planned Parenthood, you know, an OBGYN clinic, family, um, family physicians, and those sorts of places, but you need to have enough places for that. One other thing on that is in addition to abortions going up 25%, we have seen just a rapid increase in our STD. Um, and so the health, it's, it's not only stop or increasing the number of abortions, but it's putting a lot of people at healthcare risk. Right. And we know there are studies out there that show that, um, sex education and, and conversations surrounding that, uh, that involve more than just abstinence. And we're speaking about actually using protection. I mean, lowers pregnancies, but also lowers that rate of STIs, which is going up, um, which is a whole other healthcare issue that we're seeing. Uh, I, you pointed out that um, the expectation was that there'd be more providers to jump in on this state-run program and help out with it. A Des Moines Register article um, said the same thing, said that this, the state thought that the more people would jump on. But since the, this switch has happened over the last few years, that the state program is now only servicing about a fourth of the same number of people that the federal program was. What are those three-fourths other people supposed to do in, if they don't have access? Great question because they don't have access. And, you know, they've worked in the interim or after that, they even worked harder to make sure that access was even more difficult. So we had a 72 hour waiting period, which was overturned in a really famous court case, uh, Reynolds versus um, uh, Planned Parenthood, essentially. I think the ACLU might have been involved in that. And so they overturned the 72 hour waiting period. But a 72 hour waiting period may not seem that like that big of a deal if you live in a town where there's a clinic where you can go and and get services. But if you have to drive three hours and you have to take a day off of work and you're already on Medicaid or living on minimum wage, um, it is a big deal. Then they tried the 24 hour waiting period. Um, that was also um, stopped by the courts for some kind of technical reasons in how the legislature um, went about um, introducing that. And But that's fortunate because again, even 24 hours may not seem like a big deal, but honestly, that woman has already been thinking about it for 10 days on average. She took 10 days to make, that's 240 hours, I believe, to make that decision. And she deserves to make that decision on her own. Um, so the 24-hour waiting period, again, would uh, force a woman to find daycare for her children um, twice, would require her to sometimes stay overnight at a clinic because she's farther away from a clinic than she needs to be, or transportation. And many women suffer without, you know, either without a vehicle or with a vehicle that's unreliable. So just putting up these kinds of obstacles constantly um, just makes it so hard for women to, to make the choices that they need to make. What other kinds of obstacles are in place right now that are uh, stopping women in Iowa from receiving the services uh, that they need. I know that there was the heartbeat bill that was introduced that got struck down by the courts. Um, I believe there was, uh, there's a law that says that if, unless you're on, if you're under the age of 25, that you need a spousal's approval to be able to do. So that was proposed. Okay. Um, that used to show up. I've been, working against these bills since 2010 at least. 
that showed up on every single abortion bill that was out there. That if a woman was under the age, well, actually even adult women had to either have a spouse or their parents make the decision for them or sign off on the decision for them. I, you know, I, I, I would show that to some of my legal friends in the legislature and they would say, well, that's gotta be a typo. That's gotta be a drafting error. It wasn't a drafting error. It came on every single bill. And until um, they went, I think it was a six week ban that they put it on and we're going to bring it uh, to committee. We brought attention to that by having a press conference that year before it went into the committee and caucusing for a very long time. And they withdrew that bill as soon as the public got attention. It came to the public's attention that their the parents of adult women would have to sign off on an abortion. That's crazy. That is not the century that we're living in. No, that is that is so uh, so far out there that that I I don't even know what words to say. Um, in the when the constitutional amendment was voted on in the House, there were a few Republicans who did cross the aisle to join Democrats to say that this isn't okay. Do you think uh, moving forward that there is possibility of work between um, Republicans and Democrats at the Capitol? Is this something that we can bring people together at a legislative level to stop this before it continues going any further? I wish we could. And typically um, it has taken them until, you know, the very last days of the legislative session to actually accomplish anything to, to bring these through because they have to twist a lot of arms, pass bills that, you know, they make deals with to say, okay, we'll pass this bill. The ones that voted against um, the constitutional amendment, and I can't remember how many there were, I can think of three right now offhand, um, are adamantly opposed to making these kinds of changes and they are listening to their constituents. I talked to one of them and he says, I listen to the women at church and they tell me not to vote against these bills. And I am thankful for that. Um, one of them had a personal experience with a daughter who had a pet pregnancy that went wrong and he has chosen to support a woman's right to make those decisions since then. It's sad to me that you have to have the personal experience and that you can't kind of empathize with people living out there when they are going through those challenges. But I'm also thankful for the fact that when you have had the, the personal experience, you can see the light and recognize that this needs to be accessible to others. I would love to work with more Republicans. I used to think that there were more out there that um, would be more open to reproductive health care and, and choice. But I have seen them fall um, so many times that I'm not very confident that that will happen. So what can Iowans do um, as non-elected officials, as just everyday Iowans do to help support abortion access and support reproductive health um, in the state? Sure, um, fight against this constitutional amendment, get involved in the campaign against it. Um, it would be great if we could kill it next year in the legislature or over the next two years in the legislature. I don't know that that's going to be possible, but Getting involved in your campaigns this year for the 2022 election is critical. Um, and staying in touch with groups like Planned Parenthood and the Family Planning Clinic and Progress Iowa and, and working together to see how we can um, you know, make sure that we, we continue with this.
Is there anything else that you would like to add? You know, the one thing with that we didn't touch on is they also stacked the courts. Um, So I think it's really important to know that um, we can't have a lot of faith that the courts will side with women on reproductive health care any longer. And we have to be very careful that more legislation isn't passed. Right. Well, thank you so much for joining me this morning, Representative. I really appreciate your insight and your leadership um, and your time at the legislature and for your fighting for all of Iowans. Great. Thank you for having me. My other guest is Jamie Birch Elliott, the Director of Public Affairs for Planned Parenthood Advocates of Iowa and an amazing fighter for women and children in Iowa. I also got to speak with her on Friday and learn more about the issues surrounding access to reproductive health care. Thank you so much for joining us today, Jamie. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Awesome. I'm going to kick over to the same question that I asked Representative Wessel Crischel. Um, Yesterday was the anniversary for Roe v. Wade, the 49th anniversary. So I'm going to ask, what does Roe v. Roe v. Wade mean to you and for the uh, Planned Parenthood Advocates of Iowa? Yeah, I mean, for Planned Parenthood Advocates of Iowa, it's actually, um, and for abortion advocates across the country and across the nation, it's it's actually a pretty dire situation, right? Here at almost 50 years of celebrating Roe versus Wade, we're in the 49th anniversary, And we are on the brink of losing access. And so typically we would be celebrating the anniversary of Roe versus Wade. And actually abortion access is at risk like no other time. Um, You know, this is honestly, this is not a drill. Um, Politicians are doing everything they can to unravel abortion access and Um, Even here in Iowa, politicians um, passed a direct challenge to constitutional protections for abortion. Um, And there's a likelihood that Iowa could see an abortion ban in the future, similar to what we've seen in Texas or Mississippi or Georgia. Um, You know, so Roe versus Wade is about um, access to safe and legal abortion, but that access is is at risk. Right. And Planned Parenthood has kind of somehow been morphed into the face of this issue uh, for everything. And we've seen like Planned Parenthood clinics, their numbers dwindle across the state of Iowa over the last uh, few years, especially the last few years um, since the 2017 decision by the governor to stop taking federal funding for the family planning uh, program. Can you speak about that a little bit and what impact that's had on Planned Parenthood? Yeah, that's right. I mean, and, and to be clear, in this moment, Planned Parenthood stores remain open in Iowa across the state. Um, our Planned Parenthood's eight health centers continue to remain open and available to, to patients that need them. But, um, and I also want to say, like, Planned Parenthood is, of course, the face of this fight at the moment, but this, this was paved by uh, other organizations, other abortion providers. So I just want to give them um, you know, the shout out that they deserve the Emma Goldman clinic in Iowa city, of course, has been providing abortion, um, you know, probably likely longer than Planned Parenthood. And, um, there are, are other advocates for abortion in the state that are not Planned Parenthood. Of course, you know, here, here we are Planned Parenthood, um, kind of leading the fight here, but, um, you know, the, 
the way we got to this moment, this dire moment in, in Roe versus Wade, um, it has been a coordinated attack over several decades, to be honest. Since Roe versus Wade, um, you know, was was ruled in 1973, uh, there has been a coordinated effort to tear it down. And so part of that effort um, came to light in the after the 2016 election. Um, when an anti-abortion majority took over the state legislature, right? They defunded Planned Parenthood, which means they prevented Planned Parenthood from accepting public funding um, in or a certain stream of public funding. There are a lot of ways to defund Planned Parenthood, but it forced four Planned Parenthood health centers to close. And that, you know, those four health centers were part of um, a series of closings that had been happening over time um, because the same attacks, or excuse me, the same strains on rural healthcare providers are um, impacted Planned Parenthood. And so, you know, access to sexual and reproductive health care, whether it's abortion, birth control, other forms of family planning, um, those things have been chipped away for, you know, the last 10 years or so. Um, uh, around 10 anti-abortion bills have passed the state legislature since, since 2017. Um, and that's just in the recent history. So, um, you know, Planned Parenthood has definitely seen attacks, but Planned Parenthood is, is strong and resilient. Planned Parenthood will be here. This is actually impacting Iowans, you know, um, this means Iowans are going without critical health care. Um, and so, you know, Planned Parenthood will be around, um, Planned Parenthood is strong. Our doors remain open, like I said, but the, the real impact is in the lives of Iowans. Yeah. And that actually is, that's a great segue to my next question. I was going to ask about the clients that you have, um, in 2019, 2020, please, uh, correct me where I'm wrong. Um, there was an actual 25% increase in abortions in the state of Iowa. But at that same time, we know that there were less abortion clinics here in Iowa, which means that if that numbers are going up, that we're seeing people traveling further and further, having to go more out of their way to get access to critical healthcare like abortion services. Yeah, that's definitely the case. So, you know, to be clear, it's totally okay to have an abortion. Abortion is a perfectly normal, simple healthcare procedure. One in four folks will have an, one in four people that can get pregnant will have an abortion in their lifetime. It is just a, a very normal part of, of American life and healthcare um, to be clear. So it's okay to have an abortion, right? Um, but the, you know, when politicians say they're trying to reduce the number of abortions and in fact, the abortion rate goes up, um, that means they're not reaching their goals, and yet they still continue to reduce access to abortion. The, the way that we got here is because Iowans are losing access to preventative health care, right? We have unintended pregnancy because Iowans are, first of all, not getting the sex education they need um, to, to live healthy and fulfilling lives, first of all. Second of all, it isn't necessarily easy to get birth control in the state of Iowa. Um, you know, it's, the Des Moines Register has called Iowa a contraception desert. 
right? When Planned Parenthood closed uh, across the state, um, you know, it became harder to get access to birth control. And of course, birth control is legal. It's covered by insurance now. Um, and even with those barriers brought down, um, it's not always easy to get the care you need. Uh, and on top of that, um, labor and delivery units are closing across the state. So even if you do decide to have, you know, to, to grow your family, to have children, um, you may aren't always guaranteed a place, a safe place to deliver your baby in this state, right? Some folks are having to drive hours just to deliver their baby in a hospital. And so, you know, the STI rates have increased, the abortion rate has increased, but that's because uh, Governor Reynolds and um, anti-abortion lawmakers have, have made conscious decisions to reduce access to that care. Yes, exactly. Um, I wanted to jump back to uh, what you started out with there about let's like destigmatizing abortion. One in four people who are able to get pregnant um, end up having abortions at some point in their life. It's virtually impossible for you to be able to ask anybody and to be able and whether you know it or not, but almost everybody knows somebody who has had an abortion. Is there anything else that we can talk about to help destigmatize this? Throw out some facts. You know, breaking down stigma is incredibly hard. And I know that um, talking about abortion can be difficult, but to the extent that you are able and it is safe to do so, share your abortion story with those, with those around you. Um, you can do it through, um, you know, a structure like Planned Parenthood. Uh, we keep in touch with folks that want to share their abortion story um, because we know the, the more we can get abortion stories out there, um, the more people can see that they do know someone who ha who's had an abortion, um, the more, the, the easier it is to, to roll back um, these abortion restrictions. Having said that, um, you know, it, it is just as powerful to talk to people in your own community, your own network, your friends, your family, um, those around you, just talking about abortion helps us normalize it. We've seen this with mental health care, right? The stigma around um, mental health is, is now for my generation, for millennials, it's just, um, you know, we're talking about going to the therapist the way we're talking about going to the dentist, taking care of ourselves in that way. Um, you know, the stigma has broken down. I think that uh, we're, we're on track in sexual reproductive health care. You know, it's no longer necessarily taboo to talk about um, birth control or family planning or sex. Um, you know, it's okay to talk about your abortion. Um, and that is how we break down stigma by talking about abortion. Um, and that helps us all get a little bit more comfortable with it. That's awesome. And I'm going to ask you a question kind of similar. What can other Iowans do? We love working from home. We, we love our furry friends. Yes, we do. That is, those are my dogs, Margaret and Hoover, and there must be a squirrel outside. So <laughs> um, what can we do uh, as Iowans who may not ever need to get an abortion, but we want to support uh, others access and ability to choose that option? I would say, you know, first and foremost, if you have never talked about uh, your support for abortion rights, now is the time to do so. 
Now is also the time to not just talk about your support of abortion rights, but to support um, legislators or candidates that that support your values. Um, a lot of times, you know, a, a lawmaker is a member of our community, and so we know them as a friend. But it's also important to align your values with with the folks that you support in office. And on the other side of that, it's important to contact your legislator and let them know how you feel about particular issues. Um, and finally, you know, sign up to volunteer or at least sign up to hear from uh, Planned Parenthood. Um, and you can do that by visiting the Planned Parenthood Advocates of Iowa website or going to our social media channels. Um, so Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, TikTok from time to time. Uh, so, you know, go to Planned Parenthood. And even if you think that you're already signed up to receive communications, or even if you have already volunteered in the past, like now is not the time to stay on the sidelines. And look, I've talked about this on this podcast before. As advocates, we're exhausted, we're tired. We have been working tirelessly for what feels like infinity now. And now we're in the midst of a global pandemic, right? So every time, um, it just keeps, every time we turn a corner, it actually, there's another mountain to climb. Um, and so it's critical to take care of yourselves, but um, we cannot back down. Um, when it comes to abortion access, there is no um, moment like the one we are in. Um, you know, Planned Parenthood will never back down. We are proud to provide the healthcare that we do, and we need advocates like you to continue to stand with us. That is an amazing place to end our discussion here today. Thank you so much for joining me, Jamie. And thank you so much. I feel like I've learned some stuff. I hope that our listeners have learned some stuff as well. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be back. Thank you so much for joining us again on today's edition of What A Week. You can hear more from us by following our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Progress Iowa, and by subscribing to The High Five, Progress Iowa's daily newsletter that keeps you up to date about what's happening around the state. Thanks so much for listening. My name is James Simmons, and I'll hear you again soon.